Thanks very much. Curtis, it's great to be with you here in uh, Kelowna as you get ready for Christmas, you get ready for living nativity. I love this time of year. I love this season. Of course, someone said there's three seasons in a man's life, the season when he believes in Santa Claus, then there's the season when he doesn't believe in Santa Claus, and then there's the season when he actually becomes Santa Claus. So it's a great season, but I'm always confused. I mean, we don't have a living nativity. We got a nativity that I won from some bookstore in the United States. Would you believe God bless America and no place else? And I, I smuggled this nativity scene into Canada. But I'm confused when I look at it because uh, I don't know why the wise men are there, and I don't know why they call them the wise men, because I would call them the unwise men, because they show up late, don't they? They're like 18 months after the birth. Finally, the wise men show up with the lamest, most impractical gifts of all. I'm sure you'll agree. So I think they should have had the wise women they would have got there on time. They would have asked for directions. They would have brought something practical rather than gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Maybe they would have brought like two years' supply of diapers, or maybe they would have brought like a car seat so that the Messiah wouldn't fall off the donkey. They could strap him on there. That's kind of what, what I'm thinking. But what do I know? As Curtis said, uh, it's my privilege and joy to be part of C2C Network, which is actually your church planting network, which started as a pokey little uh, Mennonite Brethren church planting network with a really lame name, the Board of Church Extension for the British Columbia Conference of Mennonite Brethren Churches. See, you're, you almost fell asleep there. And, and then someone thought, let's rebrand this puppy, and they called it Church Planting BC. And so that's a bit more sizzling. And uh, as we planted churches, and as we saw God's favor, as we kick-started new churches that are gospel-centered, spirit-led, and mission-focused, other tribes wanted to join with us, because I hope you realize that God's sandbox is decidedly larger than the Mennonite Brethren. In fact, you said, what is the Mennonite Brethren? I didn't even know. Well, Park Church was a Mennonite Brethren church, and you might be ready to head into the parking lot right now. But we partnered with Pentecostal Church. We funded a Pentecostal Church. Then we went through this story of not only becoming interdenominational in BC, but becoming a national church planting movement for which we give all God, all the glory, and all the praise. A couple of weeks ago, we had our annual church planters summit, and there was 230 church planters there in Vancouver for worship, prayer, encouragement, rest, refreshment. And it's just kind of a little snapshot of what God is doing in Canada in these days. Some of our teams say, Aslan is on the move. For me, it's, it's a bit like I've stumbled into the professor's spare room and I've found a wardrobe. And as I, as I push my hands through the wardrobe, there's fur coats there, but I smell pine needles. It's kind of like we're on the cusp of something. We're seeing our network grow. Back in February of 2015, we had 67 church plants in our network. Now uh, we support 110 church planters and apprentices. So it's growing, it's expanding, and I think God is pleased 
because there's collaboration around the centrality of the gospel, and that's a really good thing. God's at work, and uh, I've been reminded afresh of a prophetic word that was given to the tribe, which you didn't know you belonged to, but it's the tribe of the Mennonite brethren. Uh, I'm a Scotsman who became an American, ended up in Canada, and then became part of the Mennonite brethren, so I'm one confused individual. (laughs) But maybe three, four years ago, someone came to do like an organizational audit of the Mennonite brethren governance and leadership structures. But what he did at the end of his audit, he brought four words from the Lord. Whoa, who asked a prophet into the house? And this is the the fourth message, that God has called this little tribe to be a lighthouse. He said, the fourth message is one that has such joy and light associated with it that I've found it hard to comprehend and fully articulate. Indeed, as I've received this promise, it's been almost too glorious to articulate because of the redemptive impact it will have on Canada. If you repent from the things the Lord has asked you to turn from and embrace the things he's invited you to, he will raise up the MB denomination as a standard or a lighthouse in Canada. He will use you to demonstrate the authenticity of the gospel of Christ, John 17, 20 to 23 to Canada through unity and power. And many people will come to Christ from coast to coast. The denomination will be given favor to influence various levels of government, as well as bring unity across other denominations. The Lord has given this warning. Don't allow arrogance to creep in, but safeguard your hearts with accountability and humility. He has also warned you to lower the flag of the MB denomination, that the flag of Jesus Christ alone be raised across the country. This last message will come at great cost. It will mean an an unqualified turning away from personal agendas and kingdoms for the greater cause of Christ. The only flag worth flying. Yes, amen. The only flag worth flying across Canada from coast to coast, from Vancouver Island to Prince Edward Island, is the flag of Jesus. And some people say, are you guys a church planting network? Are you guys a church renewal network? Are you into helping the established church get on mission? Yeah, kind of. But really, our principal business is to raise high, to wave the flag of Jesus, to exalt Jesus, and to proclaim Jesus. And that's that's a challenge. Because Canada is a daunting mission field. Since World War II, we've led the planet in rapid de-Christianization. Back in 1961, only one half of 1% of Canadians would say they had no religious affiliation whatsoever. Now it's one in four and climbing. We have the most unreached piece of real estate in all of the Americas, North America, Central America, South America, and that unreached piece of real estate, that daunting missional context is the province of Quebec. Less than one half of 1% of Quebec is evangelical Christian. That means there's actually more evangelical Christians in the Islamic Republic of Pakistan, where there's 0.6%. So that speaks to the challenge Yet God is doing something special in Quebec, and we are seeing it 
in our network. Our regional director in Quebec is a francophone evangelist called Patrice Nagon. And three years ago, Patrice supervised four church planters. Now he's supervising 20. He's got 18 in a church planting training school. We run a two-year training school for planters called Incubator, or Patrice would call it Incubator. And if you asked him, why are we seeing a different day in Quebec? He would say it's because the Lord is answering the prayers of his people. In Luke chapter 10, verse 2, Jesus says, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. And so what we do is we set our smartphones, our iPhones, not our Samsung 7s because they'll go on fire, and uh, we set them at 10.02. And at 10.02, we say, Lord Jesus, you are king of the harvest. Send anointed men and women into the harvest fields to proclaim you, to demonstrate the power of the gospel, and to penetrate lostness with the light of the gospel. And because of my biases, I also pray that God will raise up more and more evangelists from coast to coast. And God is doing some beautiful things in that dark, challenging province of Quebec. Back in June 2015, we had a church planting assessment center in Montreal. And we had 11 planter couples for assessment, which is actually unmanageable because of all the exercises and scrutiny and intensity of assessment center. So what they decided to do was divvy it up into an anglophone stream and a francophone stream and bring all 11 together from time to time. For some reason, they decided to put the Scotsman in the francophone stream. Maybe it's because I made the mistake one day of saying, ça va? Je m'appelle Bill. Je suis écossais. Et je pas français un petit peu. And they thought, you're in, boy. And so they put me in the franc. I had no clue. There was people preaching. I didn't know if they were preaching heresy. And I'm saying to the guy next to me, hey, what did he say? Do not worry. He is gospel-centered. He is not a heretic. I said, okay, that's good to know. And so one of the francophone planters that came through was a, a young uh, man with his, uh, his, his wife, Marielle, David Merkin, Marielle. They'd gone to Australia. They'd gone to Bible school in Australia, met in Australia, fell in love in Australia. I've no idea where they got married, but Jesus redeployed them back to their home city and home province. And so he came through assessment center in June 2015. Six months later, which is a very short runway, he launched a brand new congregation. And in faith, because they had a core team who were mobilized to share the gospel, to witness, to pray, and invite their friends to the gathering, in faith, they booked a venue that could hold 120. And 400 people showed up the first night. They're right in this kind of bohemian, artsy, intriguing part of Montreal. And I think maybe some of the young Francophones thought, oh, there is a lot of people this maybe is a new funky nightclub. I can go and dance and get jiggy with it. And so there was a crowd there. And David Merck, because he's Pentecostal, he didn't know any better. He preached Jesus and called people to Jesus. And on the opening night, 
a slew of people got saved. And I saw him a couple of weeks ago, and I said, David Merck, tell me, is the legend true? About your opening night, he goes, yes, 20 people, they give their lives to Jesus. But I do that every week. I preach the gospel. I say, repent of your sins. Put your trust in Jesus. And he told me, they've baptized 100 in the past year. And he's mobilized his people to share the gospel. Last Sunday, two of our church plants, uh, one of them, La Chapelle, and the other, Christ City, baptized 60 and 10 new converts, respectively. God is at work, even in Montreal. And some people would say, well, Montreal's post-Christian. It's like a spiritual nuclear winter. People won't respond if you preach the gospel. And people particularly won't respond if you give an altar call. Why in the world would a sophisticated millennial Quebecois walk the sawdust trail and make a public pledge of faith to Jesus? Why? Because, as the Apostle Paul said, the gospel is the power of God, even in Quebec. And we're seeing God at work. So, we invite you to stand with us in prayer. Join us, if you like, in Luke 10, 2 prayer. We're also grateful for Willow Park Church's financial support of our ministry. And tonight, there's an opportunity, as you feel led and stirred by the Spirit, uh, to become part of our financial support team. God is at work, even in Quebec. One of my favorite planters is a diminutive Quebecois planter called Marc Pion. And he is a double PK. And you say, what's that? You go to Tim Hortons, which I never do, because that's not real coffee. I go to Starbucks, because I want coffee that's dark and bitter, like the depths of my soul. But I, if, you go to, if you go to Timmy's, you can get a double-double. Well, Mark Pion was a double-double because his daddy was a pastor, and his grandpappy was a pastor. And as a young adult, he had a really troubling question that haunted him. He asked himself, does the gospel work anymore? Because his dad was a faithful gospel preacher, and maybe only three or four people became Christians through his dad's pastoral ministry. So as a young adult, he's grappling with that one. And then the Lord said to him, Mark, I want you to plant a church. And he said, no. And the Lord said, if you say no to me, you will be Jonah. Oh, Lord, I do not want to be Jonah. So kind of reluctantly, with not an elevated level of gospel confidence, he planted a church. His church is about four or five years old now. They've baptized about 200 new converts. And last October, they launched a daughter church. His congregation is in Sherbrooke. The daughter congregation is in Magog. So we invite you to pray. We invite you to support Jesus' mission through C2C Network and these frontline missionaries financially, and you've even got that opportunity this evening. But we could fall into a serious error in our thinking if we think that the Mark Piongs, the David Merks, the Chris and Yancey McGregors, the Chris and Susie Martins of this world, they're the missionaries, and we let them get on with it. But actually, you and I are all called to follow Jesus on mission. This time of year, we celebrate that God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, 
that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The high king of heaven came to earth on a rescue mission, but he invites you and I to join him in that rescue mission. Bill Eason said the whole point of the Christian life is to follow Jesus into the mission field. I attended a conference when I was a, a young buck, and it convened under the motto, the whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole world. So I celebrate what God is doing through church planting, but Jesus calls all of us to get in on the action. If you want to turn in your Bible, I want to read a few verses from page 1085 in my Bible. <laughs> and you say, where is that? It's John 20. And I'll read from verse 19 for a few verses forward. And here we discover, as you're looking for either page 1085 or John chapter 20, verse 19, that all of us are called to live sent. We are all sent by Jesus to live on mission for him. John 20, verse 19 says, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them. <sighs> And said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. A week later... His disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand, and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So here we discover that Jesus is clear on his identity. He says, as the Father has sent me, he understands fully, he's completely aware that he is the beloved son of the Father. And he's also sent by the Father. I was hanging out with my buddy Tom, who's an ex-Catholic, and one night he said to me, Bill, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, whatever that means? I said, yes, I do, Tom. And I'll tell you what it means, what it really, really means, what it means, what it means, what it really, really means. He said, what it mean, what it mean, what it really, really mean. I said, it means Jesus is fully God as if he was not human, and fully human as if he was not God at the same time, without contradiction. And he said, what? I said, Tom, Jesus is the eternal, uncreated Son of God. He's fully God as if he was not human, and fully human as if he was not God at the same time. And Jesus walks in his identity as the beloved son of the Father, knowing that he's sent by the Father. And there's a little thread that runs through John's gospel where Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, as the Father has sent me. And now those sent sayings kind of hit a special climax because this is John's great commission. 
And Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. The theologian Raymond Brown said, the special Johannine contribution to the theology of this mission is that the Father's sending of the Son serves both as the model and the ground for the Son's sending of the disciples. So Jesus lives loved and sent, and He invites you to live in the power of the love of the Father and to live sent in the name of the Son. And here in John 20, Jesus calls you and I to give up home field advantage and to engage with brokenness and lostness and where there is disrepair and bring hope and healing through the power of the gospel in his name. And he says, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And then the fair question is, well, how then should we go? And we take our cue from Jesus when he appears in that room, the disciples had no great expectation that Jesus would appear to them. They thought their gaffer had been terminated and that the religious and political power brokers had won the evil day and that he was dead. And he was dead. Jesus was really, 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 really dead. But of course, the good news of the gospel is this. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and He rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. And Jesus died. But He's raised to life by His Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. And these disciples who'd barricaded themselves into a safe house for fear that the Jews who had eliminated their leader would come after them are startled and shocked and thunderstruck by the indestructible Jesus who materializes in the middle of the room. How is that possible? Because Jesus is more real than any brick wall. But they're unnerved by his presence, and this is why he says, peace. Peace. Be at peace. But he shows them the nail prints in his hands. He shows them his wounds. And this is to demonstrate that he is Jesus, champion over evil, champion over sin and death and judgment and hell and guilt and shame. But he also shows them his wounds to say, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. In other words, go surrendered, go surrendered. The call to follow Jesus on mission is a call to lose your life to go broken and go surrendered. That's Thomas's response, and we write Thomas off and go, nah, 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 doubting Thomas. But when he's startled by the presence of Jesus, he leads the way in the only appropriate response to the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, my Lord, my God, and he throws himself at the feet of Jesus in an act of surrender. Malcolm Muggridge said, we are henceforth to worship defeat, not victory, failure, not success, surrender, not defiance, deprivation, not safety, weakness, not strength. We are to lose our lives in order to keep them, to die in order to live. Several years ago, I was in Poland, and my host took me for pizza, because they know that's the universally acceptable food group. Who doesn't like pizza? 
uh, dead people. They don't like pizza, but everybody else likes pizza with extra pepperoni, extra cheese, extra, extra, extra. So they took me someplace in Warsaw called Pizza Hutsky or Pizza Lansky or Dominiski's. I have no clue. And we're eating pizza and we're interrupted by an Australian. It just like sits at our table, drops his rucksack and goes, good eye. Tommy kangaroo down, sport, good eye. And I'm like, hello, I knew you were Australian because you have no social skills. Thanks for interrupting our lunch. And I said to him, so what are you doing in Poland? And then he told me he was traveling around the world. He was taking about two years to walk around the world. Well, obviously, he took a plane and a boat, but he's, he's on foot, you know, with a rucksack and a kangaroo and a billabong and a canteen, and he's uh, going around the planet. And he had a near scrape with a shark. He avoided being abducted by bandits. I think he was shot at someplace. And so I said, why are you doing this? Why are you taking two years out of your young adult life to wander around the planet? And he said, I'm trying to find myself, mate. I'm trying to find myself. And I went, boo, I found you right there. <laughs> See, there, there's something romantic and appealing about wandering the planet, experiencing different cultures, thinking you can find yourself. But Jesus tells you the secret to finding life and the secret to participating in kingdom advancement. He says, whoever tries to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. Whoever tries to keep her life will lose it. And whoever loses their life will preserve it. So go surrendered. But also go urgently. Jesus says something that sounds very strange. I don't know if you were tracking with me when I read the Scriptures that say, if you forgive anyone sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So what in the world is he talking about? Is he giving the disciples the power to forgive sin, to erase sin, or the power to withhold forgiveness? It sounds kind of clumsy and sounds kind of odd, especially if you're familiar with, say, Mark's gospel in chapter 2. There's a house that's absolutely heaving with people, and people are spellbound by the authoritative, life-giving teaching of Jesus. And... uh, there's some guys who've got a dilemma. Their friend is paralyzed from the neck down. And how can they get him to Jesus? Because he's, he's mobbed by people who are listening to his teaching. So they drag their buddy up the side of the house and start digging a gigantic, dirty, great hole in the roof of the house. A bit like Canucks fans after a Stanley Cup defeat against the Boston Bruins. And so some plaster bounces on the Messiah's head. And he looks up and he sees a hole. He stops teaching, and this guy is lowered in front of him. The crowd's silent, because they're wondering, what will Jesus do? And he says, son, your sins are forgiven. And right away, people are muttering under their breath, and they're kind of, maybe there's some passive-aggressive Canadians in the house, because they're going, who does he think he is? Only God can forgive sins. And some of them don't verbalize their concern. But Jesus has ears like a bat. He has x-ray vision. He can hear their mutters and read their heart. So he responds. And he says to 
demonstrate that the man from heaven has power and authority on earth to forgive sins, I say, rise, take up your mat, and walk. Because someone has said, only God can forgive sins. And that's theologically bullseye. Only God can forgive sins. But Jesus is the God-man. He's the eternal Son of God, become fully human. And He's the one who died on the cross so that your sins could be forgiven, so that you could be freed from guilt, regret, shame, and sorrow, and live with the power of a clean heart and a clean conscience. So clearly, He isn't giving these apostles the power to withhold forgiveness. He's saying something else. He's saying, go with gospel urgency, because if people don't hear the message of forgiveness, they simply can't experience forgiveness. Scripture says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ. So, there's gospel urgency in the words of Jesus. He's saying, guys, gals, eternity is on the line. People, they're lost. They're in spiritual darkness. They're under the judgment of God, and their only hope is the life-giving message of the gospel, the most amazing message you'll ever hear, that Jesus came to show us God's love. Jesus came to set up His kingdom. Jesus came to die for our sins. Jesus came to abolish religion. And unless we mouth it, unless we announce it, unless we preach it, unless we shout it, unless we gossip it, people won't hear. So, Jesus says, go with urgency. Let the plight of the lost and the power of the gospel grip your heart. I've been with C2C almost five years, and before I joined C2C Network as their national missiologist, I had like 10 interviews. That was absolutely insane. One of them was a sneaky interview I didn't even realize it was an interview. Uh, That's because uh, subtlety is lost on me from time to time. But my friend who became my boss, Gord Fleming, he interviewed me like three or four times. Because if you're a business owner, you know the best time to fire somebody is before you hire somebody. And so, be slow to hire, be quick to fire, and lay out expectations and culture and ethos. And so, one of these conversations, he said, I don't believe in job descriptions. I said, hallelujah. I hate job descriptions because they're like a straitjacket. And my motto is, don't fence me in. Now, I do have a job description because Revenue Canada thinks it's a great idea. But Gordo said, if you had a job description, it would only be three things. Number one, stick close to Jesus. Number two, pray that God will break your heart for the lost. And number three, do whatever it takes to fulfill the mission. And guess what? That's my job description. But child of God, brother, sister, friend, Willow Parker, that's your job description first and foremost. Stick close to Jesus. Invite God to break your heart for the lost and do whatever it takes. But we can't do this in our own strength. So, Jesus says, go empowered. You notice He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And Jesus' actions kind of remind me of Genesis 2, where there's a lump of dirt in the ground, an inanimate chunk of clay, and then God breathes into that lump of dirt, and it becomes a a living soul, Adam. Or Ezekiel 37, where the wind of the Spirit comes rattling around a a boneyard, 
where there's all these skeletons piled on top of each other, and they become reanimated and energized, and they become an army because of the power of the wind. And the word for wind and the word for spirit in the Old Testament is the same word. And Jesus breathes on them, receive the Holy Spirit, because it's Canada's a challenging mission field. Your neighborhood's a challenging mission field. You can't do this in your own strength. Jesus said in John 15, without me, you can do nothing. And I believe that every once in a while, but it's true all the time. I can't proclaim the gospel. I can't live on mission in my own strength. Zechariah 4, 6 says, not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And we need the power of the Spirit. Ajit Fernando said, whatever one may call it and however one may enter it, what is important for all Christians to experience is what the baptism with the Holy Spirit implies, the fullness of God's Spirit in power, in witness. Now, Christians trip over each other and they fight each other over labels, and they miss out on the blessing. But the issue is this. God wants you to live under a cloudless heaven filled with an unquenched, ungrieved Holy Spirit so that Jesus can work in and through you and in spite of you. You can't live the Christian life. You can't honor God in your own strength. Christianity isn't fake it till you make it. It's the crazy idea that the Spirit of the living God can occupy your heart, your life, and reproduce the life and beauty and character and power and fragrance and authority of Jesus. And as we yield to the Spirit, there's power to live on mission. So tonight, in Jesus' name, I want to invite you to climb out your comfort zone and follow the one who says, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. But in a few moments, we're going to give you an opportunity to receive prayer. Because maybe tonight you're saying, you know what? I need a fresh touch from God. Scripture says, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. So in a few short moments, the prayer team will be available. Pastor Curtis will be available. I'll be available. And it would be our joy and privilege to pray that you would experience a fresh infusion of Holy Spirit life and power that your life might be used of God to raise high the flag of Jesus and to make a difference in the postal code where he currently has you settled at this point in time. So we're going to do that in a moment. Curtis is going to come and lead us in a song because before you have an opportunity to receive, and don't be bashful about that, because I think part of what God has for Willow Park is to be a house of prayer. And so if you want to receive prayer, don't be shy, don't be bashful. There's people here who love Jesus and they would be thrilled. It would bless their socks off if they could come alongside and pray for you. But there's going to be an opportunity before you receive to give. You'll notice inside your bulletin or program or whatever they call it here, your little Willow Park Church book, there's some literature in there. And there's a little envelope with C2C Network. And in C2C Network, where we get our name from Psalm 72, verse 8, that he shall have dominion from C2C, we're so grateful to God for Willow Park Church's generous support of church planting and spreading the gospel. But there's an opportunity for you to be part of that tonight, either through a one-off gift, which you could put in that envelope, or 
you could join us in prayer, or you could even fill this thing in and uh, become a regular monthly donor. There's provision for you to write a check, which would be made payable to C2C Network, or to even use your credit card. So we're pretty flexible in C2C. We're pretty supple, pretty nimble, and uh, we're grateful uh, for your prayers and grateful for this opportunity to share a little bit about what God is doing and grateful for the opportunity supported by your church's great leadership to invite you to be part of our financial support team. How does God's mission fulfilled in, in the world through the generosity of God's people. That's the ancient and contemporary recipe. So you've got an opportunity to be part of that. I'd like to pray and Curtis will lead us in a song. Father, we thank you that you are a good, good God, a generous God who sent your son into the world on a rescue mission to salvage us, to heal us, to forgive us, to restore us, to reconcile us to the true and living God. But we also recognize that Jesus says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So we pray that you would probe us and poke us and cajole us into faithful openness to be part of your grand redemptive story on planet earth. And we pray as we deliberate and pray over this opportunity to support Jesus' mission through sea to sea, uh, that you would speak to our hearts and that we would be uh, prompt and open to obey. We love you, Lord, and we thank you that you're a great God. In Jesus' great name, amen.